Hi again, everyone. I'm Matt Lachlan. Welcome to the official Devils pausecast as we come to all our Devils fans from three separate locations. Amanda Stein, my co-host, is with us from Mont Tremblant, north of Montreal. Amanda, welcome. Thank you so much, Maddie. Yeah, we're still here with a ton of snow. I'm looking out the window now. It hailed this morning, so uh, I'm still living in the winter time. <laughs> yeah, the calendar says spring, but there's still winter north of Montreal. We are joined by our guest, who is in Minnesota, and I think there's a touch of winter still around for Chico Resch. Chico, thanks very much for joining us. Well, thank you. Like Amanda said, we had snow the last two days, Maddie. It didn't get over 30. And another cold one today, but when you're indoors, doesn't matter. We're stuck indoors. <laughs> that, that's okay. You can still paint indoors. That is true. Uh, I am still in New Jersey. It's my home. I won't leave. And uh, yeah, it's a beautiful day. It's sunny, but it's a little chilly. The temperature's dropped. It's probably not quite into the 50s, but it is a beautiful day. At any rate, Chico, thanks very much for giving us some of your time. Just kind of take us through your last month or so from when you found out that the league was being put on pause and you left New Jersey with your wife Diane and headed back to Minnesota? Well it was for you guys too I'm sure it was kind of hard to digest at first I thought oh yeah they're saying this but it's not going to go that long but of course once we got home and we saw the snowbanks and we got unloaded with sleighs we had to have sleighs to bring my belongings or Diane's belongings into our house uh, because we couldn't plow um, and we settled into, like everybody else, okay, how are we going to make the best use of this time? And so it's been indoor projects, um, been a lot of um, kind of, you know, thinking about what does this really mean? What, what is this about now? You know, we always are so busy that we don't have time to sit and reflect and almost have to be intentional now. I don't know what you guys think, but when you get up in the morning, you, you could just say, oh, I'm just going to do nothing. but you kind of have to be intentional uh, of the things you're going to do. And so um, it's been a good, um, a good time, Maddie. I feel bad for everybody out of work, but uh, for Diane and I, it's, it's been a, a good time and lots of Zooms and uh, some conference calls, but overall it's been good. I think you're really right though, Chico. I found that the first couple of weeks that I got home to uh, Quebec anyways, you know, I'm not living in my New Jersey apartment where I've been for three years. I'm kind of living out of suitcases. And for the first week, I was sort of like, okay, like, what do I do every day? And then I realized, you know, I sort of absorbed the moment in that this is going to go on a while, but I need to make myself purposeful every day, whatever that may be. And so for me, that's about making you know, a schedule, literally writing down a schedule for the rest of the week, because without it, I mean, we're all human beings, we need purpose in our days, mm -hmm. but I'm just finding it in a different way, whether it's spending time with my nieces, doing some work for the devils, or taking time for myself going for a walk. Hmm, that's true. Yeah, I think that uh, somebody asked the other day, I forget, who it was, but somebody I was speaking with, and it was in a group chat, and they were like, well, do you guys get up and like, do you shower every day, or do you shave every day, or, and I find I got to get up and have a day, you know, I, I just can't, yeah. you know, just lay around in my pajamas and hope things will happen, so I've got to have some structure, there's no question about that. What are some of the things you've been doing, Chico? Well, like I said, reading a lot of history books, I love history, and been reading a couple of uh, Stan's books. One is Subway Book, and um, and then just a couple of history books. You know, but what um, you know, I talked to a girl today. Uh, she's in the media for the Halifax Mooseheads, and Amanda would uh, enjoy this, and I did too. And she said, you know, she's uh, a host on the uh, Quebec Major Junior League teams, about three of them. Um, but she said, I've learned to journal. And, you know, I don't know, kind of at first I thought, oh, okay. But I think if everybody said, okay, I'm going to journal for a month and really figure out what I think, you know, what are some of my thoughts? What would I really like to do? Make out a list of, you know, what uh, is going to be different when I come back to work, when it gets all busy again. I just thought it was a great idea that I've never journaled. I don't know if, Maddie, if you have or Amanda, but I, I think if everybody did, I think it would really help with some self-reflection and 
change maybe the way we do things when we come out of this mess? So when I was younger, I think from the time I was about 12 till probably 23, 24, I kept a journal every single day. Um, whether it was a long entry or short entry, it didn't really matter. And for me, it was the easiest way to feel what I was feeling and let it go if it was something that was difficult for me. And I hadn't done it in a while. So I was actually talking to a friend the other day and I said, you know, what are you doing to maintain your mental health through this, which is something that I really struggle with. And she said, I went back to writing. And it's just a way of understanding your own emotions, especially during a time where our emotions are so unfamiliar because this is something that, you know, you can lean on your family, but they're also going through it as well. I talked to my grandmother who's 96 years old every day I call her and she's never been through anything like this. So it's a really unique experience. And I, I appreciate the fact that you bring up journaling because I find for me, it's a very, very helpful tool. Well said, Amanda. I've never done the journal thing. My wife has. And one of the things that we discovered as we were cleaning out closets and the basement and rearranging things in the attic, et cetera, is we dug through some boxes of uh, items, photos, news clippings from earlier in our marriage. And Maggie had written down, especially when we uh, started to have children, uh, on a fairly regular basis, you know, what was going on in their lives, her life, uh, what city across North America I was in and not home. That was part of it too. But uh, the fact of the matter is, it's been a good look back. And so, mm -hmm. you know, for a lot of reasons, I guess uh, it makes sense to do a journal. I, I'm not sure that I'll jump into it, quite frankly. It does, it's not something that I've done or were too interested in doing, but I can see the value. Are you going to hop into it, Chico? Well, I have written some things, Matt. Uh, you know, when I first started getting in the media when I was young, that was a long time ago, but I remember I, I had to write things down because I wasn't quick enough to formulate the words or even the angle or the, the uh, direction I wanted to go. So I, I journaled more then, you know, and it was very, very helpful. And I'm just saying, whatever the medium is for people, if you could insist on one thing, Listen, you're going to be sitting around by yourself a lot. Start thinking about some things other than just got to go to work, got to go here, got to go there, got to get that done. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think the whole country probably, maybe the world could use some self-reflection and just maybe put some things into perspective that have kind of gotten out of whack, both individually for us because we get so busy and maybe in our overall view of, um, you know, our fellow man and, you know, just what's going on in the world. So I, I, I have done it in the past, but um, the other thing I'm doing, uh, you, I don't know if you guys watch, um, well, they're not called sitcoms, but serial things. I'm watching Midsummer Murders. I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's an English production. And Diane, I've heard, she's been watching it for two years and I just bought it. But um, I started watching that with her one a night and it's, you know, having like Amanda growing up in Canada, there's a lot of the British uh, angles that kind of um, portray what it was like in Canada because we did a lot of the same things the English did. But anyway, it's a really good serial and we'll sit down and do one of those a night because you don't want to get hooked. But that's kind of uh, our entertainment for Dionysus. Take that out. But isn't that the... Isn't that the point of these shows? Everybody binge watches. You've got to watch like three in a row at yeah. least. You've got to take the whole series and go through it in like four days. How do you how do you have the self-discipline to just watch one show? Because as anyone who binge watches, the next one comes up right away. It's not like you got to go through a series of commercials. It's like the music and the credits are rolling and then it's five seconds of music and it rolls right into the next. I know it's so... It's so true. It's hard, Manny, but, uh, you know, discipline is kind of the key to many things in life. And uh, we, we, we been able to do it. And then I've watched some old, um, I got into Charlie Chaplin. I, I don't know why I'm bringing this up, but Charlie Chaplin is a fascinating guy because, you know, he was, nobody was bigger than him in the twenties and thirties. And then he fell from favor and actually got exiled out of the States. And so it's kind of, you know, historical people who you hear of, but I don't know their 
their story. So it's not just him, but it's been others that I've read and kind of caught up on. And I don't know why it's hey, well, mainly because it was the only class I ever got an A in was history. <laughs> I tried, but I could not. I don't know if I didn't get the concept of how you learned. But so history was always a favorite of mine. Well, I'll tell a quick Charlie Chaplin story. Excuse me, Amanda. So I'm in Japan in 1985. My brother and sister-in-law are in the Marines. Uh, they're serving with the United States and they're stationed in Japan. Yeah, their station was Iwakuni. And so I go and visit, oh, I guess it was for about 10 days or so, 12, two weeks. And I spend a good portion of the time with them, but then I wanted to go to Tokyo by myself and they couldn't come with me. So I headed to Tokyo. Now at the time, and it may have changed, but Japan, uh, very few people spoke English. You would get them in the odd hotel and I didn't have a lot of money to be in a hotel, but forget about it. If you try to converse, it was very hard. So I had a Japanese translation guide and would try to get by. Anyway, I stayed in a youth hostel and there were people from all over the world there. And nobody really spoke each other's language. Uh, and we were kind of brought together because it was a cheap place to say. At any rate, Charlie Chaplin got put on the TV. Somebody had, I don't even know at the time it was a VHS. It might've been some other form. Maybe it was just on the regular, a regular TV channel of some sort. Well, anyway, it was universal. Of course, he's not speaking. It's silent. It's a silent movie. And everyone enjoyed it, cracked up. So. Uh, I, I often think of Charlie Chaplin that way. He communicated without saying anything, and he communicated to a worldwide audience. He was a genius, yeah. Yeah, no question about it. Obviously, he's like way before my time as one of the younger ones on this, but I did grow up knowing a lot about him. I was always fascinated with film and, you know, that type of culture, but I wonder, you know, um, Chico, as someone who is so fascinated with history and reads so much about it, um, what do you think, and maybe this is a big existential question, but we will look back on, on this time in our history, because this is a, a history-making moment. It's a really good question. Uh, you know, I, I think, Amanda, the, the big question for me is how will society throughout the world react. You know, 9-11 kind of put us on our heels and we, we did change a few things for a while and so forth. Um, but then, you know, in today's world, it's so tempting to get back into that same routine. You know, I, I hope that doesn't happen. Um, but what I would hope, I talked to Larry Gaines, who we all know, and he called me yesterday and he works for the Devil's Broadcast and does a great job on cutting their tape and just kind of does it all. And he hasn't been working, but he said he's had some great moments with his family. Uh, they live near William Patterson University, and they go out into the woods, and you know they're playing games. And so I, I think individually, Amanda, people will look at these times to reflect on what were the positives. Um, and, and so I think that'll be one thing. In terms of uh, the worldly thing, like Diane said today, do you think paper money, they'll move to get rid of paper money, you know, because of that sort of a, uh, can be a yeah, of course. thing. And, you know, will, will our, um, will our habits change? I don't know. Um, that's a great question. What about you guys? Like what, what is the most prominent thing that, um, you think will affect people? I think for me, one of the hardest things to sort of get my brain around is not being able to just like the, the simple pleasure of like seeing my dad and giving him a hug you know he's in his mid 70s and mm -hmm. I've seen him once since I've been home in Quebec and it was at a distance and I found that moment of saying goodbye to my dad at the door without giving him a hug or expressing any kind of physical appreciation or love mm -hmm. I found that really hard and I, I really hope that it's not something that in two years time or whatever it is, I really take for granted anymore. It's almost like to me when I think about it, it's like losing a loved one, but only temporarily and really feeling what missing that person would be like. That's a great point. And, you know, Maddie, I'll let you jump in. But I mean, that is the challenge, Amanda. You know, 
a bad thing happens, we say it put us all in perspective. I think of, you know, the youngster Colby Cave and just the tragedy yeah. of that, or maybe there's something else in, in life that we say, hey, you know, we, we got to stop and smell the roses and, you know, just kind of kick back and slow down a little. But when the whole world is spinning as fast as it is, can any of us really get back to the pace that we think we would like to? And like you say with your dad, uh, spending more time with the family or, or whatever. I, I don't know. That's always been a mystery to me um, how people say, this is going to change me, but then how hard it is to really change. But, but I hope so. Well, I, I would think there'll be some reflection, but you're right. The big challenge will be when we get back into uh, business, back to business again, uh, whenever that will be, that those same old pressures will start to take mm -hmm. over, time pressures and what have you. I know one of the things that I've been able to do and I, um, is I've connected more with people that I hadn't seen or talked to in a while. So there's been a lot of these Zoom conferences. There's been phone calls and text messages. So that's been good. But that is partly the result of A, all right, how are these people doing? My friends and colleagues that, again, in some cases I hadn't seen in a while, family members, uh, during this time, are they okay? But then I, the reality is I also don't have 10 hours to prep for a hockey game or I'm not in a plane flying to another city. Uh, and so I have that extra time. So what gets squeezed out and will something else get squeezed out now? Uh, and I will retain some of that personal touch. I, I don't know. I'd like to believe I will, but we'll see. I think it will be different for, for each person. You know, there's no mm -hmm. question about mm -hmm. that. Yeah. Gino, what do you think, what do you think the impact of whenever sports, not just hockey is able to come back in some variation can do for people because you know you you were an athlete you are an athlete you were in the national hockey league you know the power from a different level that maybe matt and i don't know because we weren't on the ice but what they can do for people well that's a great question amanda for the players of course you know you don't know what you've got till it's gone that was a song back in the 70s <laughs> but it, it's so true man i think a lot of these guys are thinking you know, I thought I loved hockey, but I didn't realize how much I loved it, missed it. So for them, I think there will be some of that. As we think of this, you know, we're just, I'm thinking of some of the older players who are having kind of good years. And, you know, this is the one year that they maybe were, were finding some of the, you know, the skill and whatever it was that hadn't been there. You know, I think of Corey Schneider for certainly, he finally got his game together for Corey. And then that got put on hold. So I think for the players, it's different. I think for the fans, I think the fans will come back with a vengeance in their enthusiasm because I talked to some fans and, and, and of course they're, they're missing it. Um, so I, I think that'll happen. You know, it's interesting. Again, I was talking on a zoom up to some friends at Halifax and one of the interesting things though, and I, you know, Sidney Crosby, a lot of the stars, Amanda have told me this, that you don't want your kids going like nonstop from one sport to the other, that it, the training every day. Well, now they can't do that. And um, so it's, it's made them put things kind of in perspective, but can they stay there? You know, I don't know. I hope so. Um, but uh, I just think there's going to be a tremendous amount of enthusiasm. And like I say, hopefully, I just think, I just hope that people say, you know, we take things for granted, even sports, but, uh, you know, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to really, uh, I mean, not, not that they're not involved anyway, but I don't know about you guys, but I just want to see a hockey game. Like, right, yeah. just the beauty of the skating and the passing and the shooting, um, just that visual. And so I think that'll be some of it. And I think some of it will start early, as we're all aware of, you just hope it's a longer a change than what I'm afraid might happen, that people will quickly get back to the routine. But like Maddie said, you know, just having coffee and seeing your friends. And like you said, Amanda, it's, hey, Dad, like we just got to get together, you know, uh, or whatever. But uh, I don't know. I, I think for the hockey players, it's interesting that I'd love to know what's going on in some of their brains. Um, <laughs> because 
you know, they don't know the impact financially yet, right? They don't know that. And that's going to be a bone of contention. So they don't know about, um, you know, what, what the league is going to decide on uh, the playoffs, if there are any. And uh, they're going to just have to adjust. So, and then the other thing is, <laughs> I, I was laughing at Larry. And, you know, if you're married, and a lot of the players are, they're never hardly home, even in the summer. Now they're finding out who that other person is and their family. So um, I think uh, I think it'll be positive. I, I really do. I think most of it will be positive. Um, and, you know, the game is in never better shape. And I, I think it'll come back with a vengeance and, and just kind of really be solid maybe a, a month or so in again. I think you're right. Uh, just a couple of uh, thoughts on – something that you said there. First off, you referenced Joni Mitchell. So of course, that's a good thing. Speaking to a bunch of Canadians, one has become a U.S. citizen, but a couple of Canadians. So referencing Joni Mitchell is good. Uh, number two, Howard Cosell's wife famously said upon his retirement, I know this is not a retirement, I married him for better or for worse, but not for lunch. So I think some of the players are figuring that out too, and their wives, really, you're here again. That might be the same reaction in my home. Maggie works every day. She goes to Overlook Hospital each day. So uh, we have that separation. But the other thing is, I can't, going back to your original question, uh, Amanda, I cannot speak to it as an athlete, but I did cover baseball when uh, at 9-11. And the New York Mets played the Atlanta Braves in the first game that was played in New York City following the attacks. And I can tell you the emotion at Shea Stadium was incredible. And as I'm even telling a little bit of the story, uh, the hair on my arms and the back of my neck standing on end. It's a very emotional thing for me because uh, we were all there. We experienced it. Now, that was more of a localized, yes, it affected the nation, but it was more localized. New York, Pennsylvania, Washington. Um, yeah, it was, the impact was felt in Seattle and Albuquerque and Dallas, but not to the degree that we had it here on the East Coast. This is worldwide. So there may even be a greater feel, but I can tell you something when that game was played, boy, that stadium started out somber, but as the night went on, it just got more and more raucous. Uh, Liza Minnelli singing New York, New York, and <laughs> Mike Piazza hits a home run that wins the game for the Mets. I mean, it was incredible. And the city and the area was united by that. So sports will bring people together and I think it will come back and I think people will be interested in going. I think the difference there is that night, as fresh as it was in our minds, and you could still see the results of the destruction as you drove, at least I did, from New Jersey, you know, out toward Shea Stadium. You, could, you, you saw the impact of the World Trade Center and, and, and you knew about it. This is kind of an invisible thing, right? I mean, there's an impact when it comes to uh, people but we don't see the disease. We see the, the impact of it, but we don't see it. And we also, that night, I seem to recall, as nervous as we were, we wanted to make sure we did it right, respectfully, and what have you. There was so much security there. Like, you felt this was the safest place in the world. Nothing was going to happen here. But now you got to come back to an arena. If you don't have a vaccine, are people going to want to come back? So it's a little different, but there's no question in my mind that sports and entertainment, the theater world, et cetera, uh, will be a unifying factor for us all. Well, let me ask you both now. You guys both are on social media a lot. One thing that I really hope is that some of the nastiness and some of the meanness that seem to be growing on the social media would subside. I, I look at humans now and they'll go outside. Um, as you know, Amanda, in Montreal, uh, uh, Cohen, what was <laughs> a singer Leonard Cohen. Leonard Cohen yes. and they all went out on their balconies and they played the tune and you know you see the people coming together and having a, a, an attitude that hey how can I be kinder to other people and I just hope some of that will will carry over into social media because it was getting pretty pretty nasty I think and uh, so so that was that's probably my biggest hope is that people will continue to understand how much we need each other and try to think of something nice to say. I mean, it's not that you can't be constructively criticism, critical, but just that mean spirit, it just kind of was overtaking our country. And I, I, I just don't think we're going in the right direction. 
Well, uh, from your lips, as they say, to God's ears, we could use a little bit better uh, social graces. Um, I don't know. I, I would think we need to take, maybe we need to do it from the bottom up because Lord knows our leaders are just yelling at each other across the bow. And that's maybe just a reflection of everything else that's going on underneath. But my goodness, uh, we need to come together on this. So on some other notes, Chico, uh, what do you miss besides the games? What, what part of your routine has been taken away from you? Um, just seeing people, Maddie, you know, going into the, my, the Ridge Bagel Shop or a restaurant or just, you know, trying to give some encouraging words uh, to people, you know, which I don't know. I always, that was something that happened to me years ago where I thought each person I see, if I can say something kind of positive to them, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe they're not feeling good that day and they think, oh, nobody even knows I'm alive. I got no friends. I did it. And, you know, I just, and you're the same way. And I'm sure Amanda as well. Uh, the joy that you got from someone just kind of going, hmm, that person remembered me or he noticed me or whatever. So I think it's that interaction, Maddie, mostly that, um, Amanda talked about her dad. There's not that personal touch to, you know, your life like it used to be. And so I, I think that's what I probably miss the most. What's it like, by the way, where you're at in Minnesota? Uh, you're, you're in a very rural part of the state. Uh, has there been a big impact of the disease? Oh, they're doing the same thing here that they're doing in New York. You know, you go into Costco here in the little town of Brainerd. You know, they got a certain number that's in there. You can't go in until somebody comes out. Everybody's got masks and gloves and really um the country has taken this uh, pretty seriously and um you know i think of the uh, uh there was a re uh, photographer that was very popular with the new york sports teams the giants and jets and i think he worked for uh the post i'm not sure but boy they just gave him a wonderful um uh, articles about what a personal he was and how the players loved him you know and um so i thought you know that that's good people are writing those kind of stories more and you know so here in minnesota everything's about the same Maddie. we do the the same thing it's funny when i first came home the mayor who lives on our little road there he came out and he had a hole and he had this hole because it's a, when he stretched it it was six feet long and he says this is my social distancing I said, I'm going to get my goalie stick. That's what I'm going to start carrying around. But I learned from Ronnie Hextall and Billy Smith how to use it. That would help with my social distancing. But it really would be no different if you came here, Matt, Amanda. You would see the same type of caution. Anthony Causey, well, by the way, is the right? photographer that you're yes, referencing who writes for the New York Post. I had a chance to work alongside him for many years. Didn't see him much at The Rock, uh, but did see him uh, at Chase Stadium when I was covering the Mets. He and all the photographers make their way between the first base photo bay and the third base photo bay. And I kind of set up shop on the first base side. And um, he was very early in his career. I think he started at the Post like in 93, 94. I started covering the Mets in 96. So uh, we kind of, joined together, but, uh, you know, we went different paths as I moved away from TV and, uh, you know, left New York City and did the devil's thing. Um, didn't really see him, but terrible story and a good guy uh, and just a terrible story dying at 48. Yeah, one of the saddest stories for all of us, so the devils, of course, is Judge Conti's passing. Um, you know, when we first came from Colorado to New Jersey, um, we, we didn't, we didn't know a lot of people. Mr. McMullen and Jackie had a party on their lawn, I remember, that first year, which, re remember, it was different. Like, you didn't know celebrities. You didn't, you didn't socialize the way players do now. So to go to the owner's house and then have a party put on by him was a pretty big deal. And then um, Judge Conti, Johnny, and he would have us over with his wonderful family, and then we'd have – another party there but as you guys all know judge conti became a supreme court judge of new jersey but more than anything he was a huge devils fan right from day one and uh he was there i saw him last year um 
but he gave us a sense uh, of, you know, I, I guess it's, I guess we are somebody. We've got, we've got a Supreme Court judge in New Jersey being one of our fans inviting us over. I know it sounds crazy, but that's kind of how we thought as players then. And of course, he had some of the players live there. But uh, I was reading what Brendan Shanahan had to say. And, and this is probably, to me, one of the biggest tragedies that as social and as inclusive as Judge Conti was, because he had the coronavirus, he was isolated by himself in the hospital. And when he passed, he passed alone by himself. And I thought, that's nasty. That's, that is really a sad uh, ending to a wonderful man's uh, life. And so, yeah, there's a lot of tragedies, uh, you guys, as you know. And for the Devils, that one, and us older guys, that hit home maybe the most. Chico, I saw on your, um, your out-of-office article um, that you're painting a chapel. Is this correct? Like, what, what are you doing here? Painting? Oh, <laughs> it looks like it. No, we have a cabin, Amanda, but we have a... <laughs> We have a cathedral ceiling. I don't know why it was built in 1946. And I thought I was getting away from danger coming home. This is eight. Pardon me? I'm good, you? All right, Maddie, are you with us, Maddie? Go ahead. Go okay. ahead, Chica. Oh, yeah, go ahead, Chica. Yeah, Maddie, um, Maddie got a phone anyway, call. Anyway, so there. my question is, is yeah, so I'll, I'll ask you the question again, Chico. I saw in your out-of-office, it looked like you were painting a chapel or something. What, what are you doing, and who put you up to that? <laughs> well, I got to tell you, Amanda, you know, I've been married 48 years, so my wife can persuade me to do almost anything. And so when we came home, and we have an old house on the lake, uh, a really nice old house, but it's a cabin. And it was 40, built in 1946, but it had a cathedral ceiling that had sort of a caramel colored tile on the top. And she's been asking me, could you get up there and paint it? But you need scaffolding, Amanda. It's two stories and, uh, you know, uh, height. <laughs> so I was up there, Amanda, eight days straight, just, you know, painting that with an extension roller and it looks great. But the, my only problem was she, she plays old, music from the like Johnny Mathis and uh some of the um um Ella Fitzgerald and, and and so anyway when she puts that music on I'm from a dancing family my dad was a one more great dancers I started dancing up there and that was when it became real dangerous she said listen no dancing on the scaffolding but uh, we had a lot of laughs we got it done and uh that's when she said you know that ceiling now doesn't match the floor Let's tear up the floor. <laughs> so she's got one more project, Amanda. So I hope, um, I don't know. I, I think I can give her one more, but um, it's been a good bonding experience because uh, we've gotten things done that we never, never did before and uh, puts a smile on her face and I didn't fall. So it worked out well. That is good to hear for sure. So Chico, before we started recording, you said you had a few things that you wanted to mention about irrefutable things that have occurred. What are those things? And you guys jump in, but there were some if irrefutable positives that I've had a chance to reflect on. And, um, and I don't know if you agree. One of them to start with, Elaine Nazardine, to me, proved that he is an NHL coach and he can motivate, he can uh, uh, dissect and direct players in the right direction. I, I just think that was one of the positives for me, the way the team responded uh, down the stretch. I thought Mackenzie Blackwood, I hope you guys agree again, I think Mackenzie Blackwood established himself as the devil's goalie of the future. I think um, he's going to be a huge impact player. Nikita Gusev, I think he showed that he's adjusted to the NHL game. I mean, his assist total. I'm really getting excited about that. Uh, and then the other thing for me it was Brack and Zaka combination. And, you know, I've seen think, thinking lines and history of players on lines, and it's usually two guys connecting. And I just think Zaka and Brat as a unit 
have come together where maybe they're stronger than they are as individuals. And, um, you know, then you've got, you know, the, the other guys that have proven themselves as well and are going to become even better. But I, I just thought those were my highlights of the real positive ending, as disappointing as the season did end, to uh, what the Devils accomplished. And I don't know, you guys got anything else to add to that? Well, I, I want to pick up on what you said on Coach Nazardine because for me, when he took over, I mean, he was already so respected, <clears throat> excuse me, particularly among the defensemen who he worked with um, day in, day out. But what I really started to notice is that he has this quality of player's coach, but with the ability to discipline and be firm in his decisions. That, so he's not just like the, the good, you know, hard good friend of the players but he can get his message across with being stern when he needs to and his players really do tend to respond to that I mean how can you not right Matt I mean we saw this team do a complete turnaround well they did they were much better toward the end I think it like most of us it just took him a while to get his footing right he went from being an assistant coach good friend yeah one day you're the assistant next hour you are the head coach and it just took a while for him to find his voice and to for the players to kind of come through that change and you know I, th I think a lot of what Elaine did was very very positive especially uh, we saw that during the end of the season the team competed they were better defensively and so yeah I, I think that he proved himself to be a National Hockey League coach. And Chico, I concur with the, with the other things too, which makes it both frustrating and exciting. Frustrating that we've come to this end, this pause. I don't know that you can pick up, even if the season resumes, you can't pick up where you left off, except however the schedule is structured. Uh, and so we'll see what's been left behind, but I am excited about the future. I, uh, that There's no question the games will return at some point. And when they do, I'm excited about some of the things we might see from the New Jersey Devils. I don't think the team is that far off. Uh, I think this is a bad year. You can't shake it in any other way, but I okay. think at the end, we start to see some good things. Let me ask you guys this now. Here's a couple question marks. Like uh, Joey Anderson, you know what school he went to, Matty. University of Minnesota at Duluth. That's Duluth, right. Yes. Who is in uh, the Hall I... of Fame? Many people, but one, <laughs> only one of them is on this show right now. <laughs> but I, I, I and I am biased a little, but I think it's Joey, not me. <laughs> <laughs> I think Joey is a legitimate uh, third liner, but going to be a terrific penalty killer, which we know specialty teams. And then the other guy that intrigued me down the stretch, and I know you guys too, and I'm just curious your thoughts. Miles Wood. Miles Wood. Who is and who? What will Miles Wood become as a Devils player? I am unsure. I, I think that he you. probably uh, and that's just based that. on yeah. I mean, we see the speed, uh, we see his determination. He can play with a physical edge. I mean, such as it's defined these days. But I just not sure if it is put together in a consistent package. And he has smoothed over some of the rough portions of his game, no question. We see him using his speed a little better. It's not always north-south. It's not 100 miles an hour. It's accelerating from 65 to 100 and beating a guy. So I think there have been, certainly there have been signs of improvement. I'm just not sure what the ceiling is. So I am intrigued. I am intrigued. <laughs> yeah. Amanda, what do you, what do you think? You, you know. my, my thoughts on, well, I, I, I think Sometimes he gets confused as to what type of player he is when it comes to Miles. Um, because he might go on a stretch where he's scoring a bunch of goals in bunches, and then he sort of angles his game towards that, but then he realizes that he has to be that hard-nosed type of player. So where is that balance for him? I think he's really still trying to figure it out. And he, you know, he's been in the league a little bit, but he's still – 24 years old and there is still time for him to to figure it out but I, I think we were seeing more of miles towards the end of the year and and having talked to him 
you know, pretty much every day. I found one of the most fascinating things was when Patrick Eliash was in town and Eliash was looking at the way Miles was skating and picked up on this notion that he was too hunched over no matter how, what position he was in. So Patty asked him if he could extend his stick a little bit just by a very small amount. And Miles said to me, he said, this is the first time I felt this way skating. I feel more upright. I feel more confident. Like he said, just something in his body felt better. And it's amazing that someone like Patty can see that slight difference and how that can maybe change the balance of a player. That's a great point, Amanda. Uh, I, I don't know that Miles, he, he probably maybe can't become Bobby Nystrom, but um, there are some similarities, and Bobby Nystrom became a great player for the Devils. When I say great, I, I'm not saying I think Miles is going to be first or second line, you know, consistent score, but I don't know. I don't know about you guys, but he just, he wins my heart because it's like you say, he's so approachable. He's so nice. He just tries so hard, but sometimes you want to just yeah. say, Miles, like just settle it down, think of, through it, and maybe he needs a mentor like a Patty Elias. Like I think what's interesting about the, the um, connection between coaches and players is like Patty Elias loved Robbie Fatorik. Robbie Fatorik did to for Patrick Kelly. I said Robbie was kind of a tweaker too, Amanda. He would see little things in your game and mm -hmm. you might look at him and say, well, you know, but Patty trusted him. And of course, I think that was part of uh, Patty becoming great. And so I'm thinking the same thing, um, you know, when we talk about, you know, who's going to coach next year. I don't think Peter Orchak's going to come back. He doesn't want to. I mean, he, he did fill in nicely but there's going to be somebody new coming in at least that one position. So um, I don't know. I just like Miles Wood and I want him to do it. But uh, I think both of you were right where he's got to figure out a few things. And, and the last thing is, you know, when you talk about Nazardine, having been a player, and I think there's more coach, I think of Barry Trotch. Barry Trotch, if you, you guys know him, and I've known him for a long time. He, he's not a yeller and a screamer. And, over the top, but you know, when he tells you something, this not like I'm, this isn't just a suggestion. And I think Elaine Nazardine has some of that, that he tells you without making you feel like you're a loser or, you know, this, you can't change, but he also like Al Arbor or some of those coaches would give the impression that if you don't change, this might not go in the direction that you're hoping. And it's a fine balance, but uh, I know I'm endorsing Elaine, but I, I, I mean, there was a guy I would have loved to <laughs> and just for him, right? Because we were growing and growing and we had some nice winning streaks. So, the, you know, but, and then I'll give it back to you, Maddie, but I mean, isn't this why we love hockey? I mean, look at the things we can talk about and project and hope for. Uh, I think that's what the fans missed uh, the most maybe is, just being so involved on um, their own individual teams. And their Amanda. own individual, yeah, and their own individual opinions on what is going on with yes. the team. Because we certainly know there's a whole lot of that, and it's great because it allows us to bring a different dimension to our job. Um, one question I had for both of you, actually, you know, I was thinking about Jack Hughes the other day. It hasn't been a year since he's been drafted. But then I think about what he has gone through. I mean, I don't know if there's any other first overall draft pick who has gone through the type of rookie season that he has. You know, when you consider he was living with Corey Schneider and then Schneider was sent down to the AHL. The GM, you know, was let go. His first coach was let go. A global pandemic ends his season. I mean, how do you think, guys, like he's digesting all of this? Go, Maddie. Yeah, no, it's been a, um, I think it's, it's been, um, you know, a slap in the face a little bit. It's, I don't want to say a wake up call, but I think for someone like Jack, to whom a lot came easily because of his skill set, I mean, he worked at it. Don't get me wrong. It wasn't like he just showed up any day and was the best player on the ice, but so many things came easy to him. I think that it was 
you know, that wake up call that it's not always going to be easy. Life throws a lot of speed bumps your way. Uh, and I think it's been a, a growing process for him. At least I would hope so. I, I hope that there are moments and he projects, he certainly projects a confidence that I, I don't begrudge him. I mean, because of his skills, but I think there has to be a quiet moment when he sits there and whoever he speaks with and, and counsels with where he says, wow, I've got a lot to learn. And that's not a bad thing. No, no, you guys hit it right on the head. I, I think in some ways, um, that almost changes, um, not, you know, Corey Snyder's situation, but the coaches, management, it deflected some of the attention off of Jack, you know, just to a point. And, and I only say that because, you know, Jack didn't come into a veteran um, team that was totally stable. I mean, you know, there was some rocky moments uh, right from day one and, you know, we didn't make the playoffs the year before. Uh, so he's not benefiting from like coming onto a ship that's smooth sailing through the ocean. He's coming onto a ship that's, you know, kind of in the midst of a storm and he's trying to find his feet and his sea legs. Um, and the other thing is, I do think though, and, and I don't say this is criticism. I'm trying to get people to understand Jack can't automatically become as strong as he's going to be when he's 23. And the NHL doesn't hit as much, but the guy, especially the D and the people up front, they work on their upper bodies. They push, they shove. You don't realize that if you're like Jack, maybe 5'10", um, 170, just trying to gain that, that inner strength, not, not the look of the muscle on the outside, but whatever it is that 23-year-olds have that uh, the same size as an 18-year-old where they're stronger, the 23, he's got to get there. So... I'm still very, very patient, and he may take a year or two longer than, let's say, um, somebody who's uh, Austin Matthews, who's 6'2", right? He can shoot from the outside. He's going to score from the outside. You know, he, you know, and like I said, Jack didn't play major junior, and he didn't play Division One college. Um, I feel for the kid because, oh, like you said, Maddie you got to believe you can do it. And I'm sure, and he did, but you also, I know as a player, you, you're going to have this public persona, but when you go home and think about it, you think, Oh my goodness, this league is so much tougher. This move I used in junior nine out of 10 times, I, I would create it. Something just only works a few times. And so, um, you know, I, I have no, no qualms that Jack is going to be a terrific player. And uh, it just may take a little while longer. I hope I'm wrong. But if it does, I don't think uh, it would be on Jack at all. I don't think it was that he didn't care, that he didn't work hard enough or, you know, do things to be physically stronger. I think it's just going to be maybe a little longer process for him. We'll wrap up on this note. And the question actually will come from Amanda. When we have a guest, a player, Chico, on our podcast, now I know this is the pausecast, the last question belongs to Amanda, and it has to do with our charter flights. Now, it's a little different for you than a player, but Amanda, you'll have to adjust it a little bit because we can see who Chico sits with, et cetera, but uh, why don't you uh, end it with your usual question? <laughs> So Maddie's absolutely right. You know, we normally ask the players what they do on the plane because they're always behind us. So, you know, I know where you sit, Chico, right in front of me. I know who you sit next to, Maddie Lachlan. We know how many Werther's Originals you eat. <laughs> so, you know, for, <laughs> for people who don't, you know, have that privilege of being on the plane, Tell us what you like to do, how you like to pass your time, other than chatting Maddie Lachlan's ear off. <laughs> uh, yeah, if you want any of those worthers, Amanda, you're going to have to move up in front of me because I get my mitts no. on right before you. And I did get addicted. I am sorry. I, I took way too many. Um, you know, it's kind of a, um, a time to – I always, even when I played, you guys – it's sort of a cocoon. It's sort of a, a place where you can go to just unwind and you can sleep or you can read, which we do, or you can 
right? Do whatever, whatever you want. And um, I love that time on the charter. We never chartered when I played. And um, so, and I guess the other thing is, uh, it makes you feel more like a team, right, Amanda? You, you know, when you come on the, and, and oh, yes. nobody wants to miss a flight. It's not just because of the perks, but you're part of the team. So uh, you walk on that plane and they close that door. That's the team. Obviously, it's the players most important, but we have our own teams. The coaches sit up in front of us and, you know, they're a team. And so, I, I just, uh, I think it's one of the real, real, real special moments of being in a major league, on a major league team where you travel with the team are those charters. Yep. And hopefully, go ahead, Chief. I'm no, sorry. that's it. I was going to say, and hopefully we'll be able to sit, me and you, next to each other and Amanda and Erica Wachter sitting behind us and all our media friends with us and coaches and get that special feeling again. Uh, sooner rather than later, whatever that means. But I know we will be together once again. That's for sure. Well, thank you, Amanda. Thank you, Maddie. It's you know, it's always fun just to talk, and especially when it revolves around the New Jersey Devils. Um, been been here since '82. You know, and like I say, Judge Conti helped me reflect on, you know, just what that has meant. And my daughter grew up there, and. Uh, it was a big, I, I mean, Diane, my wife, she, we grew up in, I grew up in Canada. She's in here in Minnesota, but she said, you know, you know, it's really New Jersey that feels like home, isn't it? And I said, yeah, yeah, you're right. So it's uh, it's, it's good to be part of something real special that's unique to New Jersey. Well, on that note, Chico, well, well said, thank you very much for joining us. We'll let you get back to that floor because that's very important too, although you have plenty of time to get to it. I know Diane would like to get that done sooner rather than later. Give her our best and we'll chat soon. Thank you guys. And Amanda, on that note, we'll wrap things up on our Devil's Pause cast. Continue to enjoy your time with family up in Mont-Tremblant and we hope to see you face to face real soon. Thanks very much for listening, everyone. We appreciate your company. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.